We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Looking for your next great hire? CareerBuilder is the fastest growing job site in the U.S. with over 140 million candidate profiles and growing. Plus, candidates on CareerBuilder have skills for the most in-demand occupations. Let us help you rebuild and rehire a strong, more diverse workforce fast. CareerBuilder, we're building for you. Visit hiring.careerbuilder.com forward slash recruit. Crossing route, Gurley makes the catch 20. First down, he hurdles. Far side of the field, stays on his feet. Inside the 10, Todd Gurley making his case for MVP. He throws back shoulder, Higby reaches out and makes an incredible catch for a first down. Off his back foot, he throws to the end zone. Cooper Cup leaping to make the catch out of bounds. He has it for six. He's got a knee-high snap, looking left. Now over the middle, he pump fakes. He rolls to his right with Connor Barwin pursuing. He knocks him down. The ball is thrown up in the air and batted away. Incomplete. The Rams' defense clinches it. Goff will come on the field for victory formation. The Rams sideline across the field from us erupts in celebration. And so the playoffs are coming back to L.A. This January at the Coliseum. We, not me, versus the NFC. And for the first time since 2003, the Rams are NFC West champions. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is managing editor Derek C. Paul with another great edition of our show. Before we get to it, though, if you could, if you enjoy what we do, if you could. Head on over to iTunes, please. A five-star review. Subscribe. All that jazz really helps out. Of course, we're still <laughs> forever. It's taking us forever. We're still doing this contest for the 100 five-star reviews. Once we get that, one lucky winner will get a $50 gift certificate to the yes NFLshop.com. Hopefully to buy Ram stuff. Also, you can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Android, Player FM, I know I need to keep going. Oh, yeah, IE Beat Radio. They also air our show on the air, online, Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Okay, so appearing today as part of our tour in the league is Mo Egger from ESPN 1530 and WLW 700 in Cincinnati. He'll give us the lowdown on the Bengals offseason. Then Robert Henson, host of On the Warpath podcast from Redskins Capital Connection, discusses where the Redskins are after their very active offseason. Before we get started, though, we want to thank one of the sponsors that makes our show possible. Most of us are practically addicted to anything Los Angeles Rams. Well, if you want to learn more about the Rams history with a bit of personal touch, check out Jim Hawk's Hollywood team, Grit and Glam, the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. The book tells the story of the 1950s Rams through the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out his son's story about his father, 
and the team he played for in the era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. Read about players like Norm Van Brocklin, Elroy Crazy Legs Hurst, Tom Fears, and Les Richter in this story spanning the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawk's book online at hollywoodsteam.com and on Twitter at hollywoodsteam. It's also available in both hardback and electronic form at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. You can find this book also, hey, also, through other various booksellers on the internet. Folks, I'm telling you, I've read this book cover to cover. It's worth every penny out there that Rams fans can spare. It's not expensive, but it's a great story. It's great history. Trust me, check it out. Hollywood's Teen Grit Glamour in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk. It's worth your time. All right, we're here with Mo Egger from ESPN 1530 and WLW 700 in Cincinnati to talk Bengals football. Mo, thanks for coming on the show. Anytime. Thanks for having me. It's interesting. In our tour around the league, we've we've talked to many different representatives of different teams, and they've there's always been at least one issue that we've always been able to zero in on. For you, it's it's Marvin Lewis. Why did the Bengals keep Marvin Lewis, and what is his legacy in the com you know in the in a place like Cincinnati, it's like a very complex sports town. Yeah, you know, I think the first part of that question is, you know, best answered by, by as much as fans hate it, as, as much as I don't like it, um, Mike Brown, the owner, hates change, hates it, um, loves continuity, stability, um, you know, all those things. Mike Brown is very, very uh, adverse to change, whether it's, changing how he runs his football team uh, and whether it's changing personnel, whether it's changing, you know, people who work in the office, he is exceptionally loyal. And I think <clears throat> to an extent, uh, almost to a fault, that's why more, more than anything else. Now I believe, and I've, I've had this co- corroborated by people that I've, I've talked to in the organization. If, if they lose that last game against the Baltimore Ravens, I wholeheartedly believe someone else is, is, is the head coach and it's, and it's not Marvin Lewis. It got really weird at the end of the year. You know, there was the whole report that Marvin was going to step down. Don't believe that for a second. This was the Bengals not wanting to bring back Marvin Lewis, but allowing him to control the narrative. But Mike Brown was swayed pretty easily by that last, uh, those last two games, specifically that last one on New Year's Eve against Baltimore. And I really believe that when they won their final two games, ended the season on a winning note, Mike Brown weighed the pros and cons. And for him, at least, um, there was great benefit to staying in the relationship. Mike Brown values Marvin Lewis, and he values what he represents, which is continuity and stability. In terms of of Marvin's uh, legacy here, it's it's very complex, which is the word that you used. I, I think if, if you remember what it was like before Marvin took over this team, it, it, it was like the Bengals were still in the, the last century. And, and I'm not even talking about the 90s. I'm talking about the 70s. They were outdated. They were the NFL Siberia. They weren't relevant uh, nationally. And, and, and honestly, they weren't relevant locally. And Marvin Lewis got him up to speed and I think deserves an immense amount of credit for that because – it's a very, very difficult job just because of of the way they run the franchise and, and the way they ran the franchise before Marvin got here. Unfortunately, and uh, justifiably so, all of that is overshadowed by the length of time that Marvin has been here and the lack of postseason success. And, and unfortunately, he's been in the playoffs so many times and he's been here for so long that that's at the top of the resume. And it overshadows everything else. And I think to an extent that that's a shame, but I certainly understand why. And until they break through in the playoffs and probably break through in the playoffs and do more than just win a game, when people think Marvin Lewis here and when they think Marvin Lewis around the country, they're going to think of someone who just couldn't get it done. Now, the question I really have concerning Marvin Lewis now is what has really held his his teams from making the playoffs a successful venture for them? I mean, we we've seen this team lose in so many different ways in the playoffs, and the the question I really have now is where where did it go wrong? What what is the real problem there that had them go over the hump? You know, I I don't know that that answer is is best provided in in two or three minutes. I think you have to look at if if you want to focus specifically on the playoff losses, there's not any one thing. You know, I will say this that when you go back to 2005, 
you know, they lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers in a playoff game that, you know, everybody remembers Carson Palmer getting injured on the second offensive play of the game. There was also something that happened at, at halftime in the locker room. Now, you know, I've had people say, look, it wasn't a fight. It was a confrontation, whatever it was. It was a, uh, a great demonstration of, of how immature this team was. You know, people forget they led that game 17 to 10. So then slide ahead 10 years later during the playoffs again, once again against the Pittsburgh Steelers, this time they're leading late. And what was on display for everybody to see? a great amount of lack of maturity, a lack of discipline. And so it, it, it was always interesting and, and has been interesting that Marvin Lewis's first and last playoff games were bookended by the same themes, a team coming unglued at the, long, at the absolute worst time, uh, a team lacking discipline, uh, a team um, you know that had some selfish guys that did the wrong thing at exactly the wrong time. So I think you can pinpoint, you know, those things. I think when you look at the seven games, you know, some of those years, the Bengals really overachieved. Andy Dalton's first two years, those were probably not teams that should have been judged, you know, by how they did in the playoffs. Uh, they were lucky to, uh, to be there. In 2009, when Marvin was the coach of the year, you know, he had probably squeezed as much out of that team as I think anybody else could. And you could feel it at the end of the regular season you could just feel the air coming out of the balloon. They get to the playoffs, and they had nothing left in the tank, and they lost to the New York Jets. Uh, the two games that I always come back to, number one would be the 2013 game. They had the Chargers here. Uh, they had beaten them a month before in San Diego. Um, it felt like, man, if it's ever going to happen, they had been unbeaten at home. They had been so good, and they lay an egg and lose by 17 points. And then, obviously, the Steelers game two years ago where – if they get a stop on fourth and 10 or if Jeremy Hill doesn't fumble, um, they win a game against the Steelers with a backup quarterback. So it, it, there's a lot of answers to that. I, I, I think the one theme for a lot of people is going to be lack of discipline, lack of maturity. But if you dive into all of those games, some of them are huge disappointments because they should have won them. Some of them, for me, not so much because I think those teams overachieved just to get to the postseason. And you mentioned Andy Dalton. How are the Bengals evaluating him right now? I know he's been abused by the fan base there for years. I I, I used to live in Cincinnati. I I was on sports. Listen to you for that matter, and listen to wow. that yeah the discussions that took place about Andy Dalton. Yeah, what's the deal with him? How are they evaluating him? Can he be successful in Cincinnati? And are there now enough weapons on that offense for him to be successful? Well, I think Andy Dalton's really interesting because. I think they're going to hit a point here. He has three years left on his contract, and he's a bargain. I mean, say what you want about his faults, what he doesn't do well. You know, Andy Dalton's going to go into this year right around the 22nd highest paid quarterback in the league, which you might say is just about right. But he certainly doesn't eat up a ton of cap space. He has a very team-friendly contract, which is why the Bengals love him. And so I think it's going to be interesting here. You know, maybe not this coming off season, but maybe the year after that. At some point, the Bengals, are going to sit down and talk contract extension with Andy Dalton. And if you don't think that they're all in with him, look at what they did this offseason. They let A.J. McCarron get away, and they drafted a quarterback in the seventh round. And the backup they brought in is Matt Barkley, who's no challenger to Andy Dalton's uh, starting spot. So they're all in on this guy, whether they should be or not. The interesting part for me, though, is if I'm Andy Dalton, I'm watching some of these guys get the money they got this offseason, and I'm thinking about free agency for me. When Andy signed his current contract, he ceded a lot of the terms to the Bengals. They can get out from underneath the contract at any point and really pay no penalty. He's not, comparatively speaking, paid that much. Now, if you're him, you're looking at Kirk Cousins get fully guaranteed money, Case Keenum, the money he signed for. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo, who I, I personally think is going to be a star, signs the richest annual contract he's made seven starts. I think it's going to be interesting if Andy plays at the level that he's played his first seven years. That's obviously going to be good. It's not going to be great. But what does that what does that pay? What's that worth? And so I think if you're the Bengals, you really are going to arrive at the intersection of two things you value. The Bengals value Andy Dalton because he provides the same thing Marvin Lewis does. Continuity, stability, consistency. They know what they're going to get. But he also might want something the Bengals absolutely do not do. The Bengals don't overpay. Their best players sign market contracts. 
they haven't had to cut many guys to make room in the you know in their salary structure to, to bring in other guys. They've managed the cap very well. They've signed guys. They've signed their best players for fair contracts. But there's rarely been anybody they've ever overpaid. I think it's going to be really interesting. Andy Dalton, I'm betting, is going to want to be overpaid. The Bengals, I'm betting, are not going to want to overpay him. But it comes back to what we talked about with Marvin Lewis. They hate change. They hate anything that disrupts continuity. So what are they going to do? I think it's fascinating to think about. Um, but in the short term, they're all in with Andy Dalton. You know, you had people last year, <clears throat> excuse me, when, when Andy got off to a slow start, talking about how, well, you know, A.J. McCarron could slide in and be the quarterback. And I'm going, have you people paid attention? Marvin Lewis has never taken a quarterback out because of performance. He's never pulled a guy in a game. He's never changed quarterbacks week to week. He's never done it. Why is he going to start now? So they're all in on Andy Dalton. To answer the last part of your question, I think it starts with their primary focus this offseason, which was to make the offensive line better. 2005, um, they had a, or 2015, I'm sorry, they had a great offense, primarily because that offensive line was such a, a, a strength. and They kept Andy upright. And for all of his flaws, He's good at getting rid of the football quickly. The last two years, the offensive line has totally, um, you know, devolved. It's disintegrated. Andrew Whitworth comes out by you, still a productive player with the L.A. Rams. They let Kevin Zeitler, a guard, get away in free agency. Two guys they had drafted in 2015 don't work out. So they spent this offseason investing in the offensive line. They trade the 12th pick to get Cordy Glenn from Buffalo. They use the 21st pick on a center, Billy Price from Ohio State. So if the offensive line's a little bit better, that's a step in the right direction. The weapons that he has, I think it's a great question because we all know A.J. Green is great, but he's 30. What else do they have? They drafted John Ross, ninth overall pick, 2017. Didn't catch a pass last year. They still have Tyler Eifert. Tyler Eifert in five years has missed more games than he's played. The backfield's a couple of guys. Giovanni Bernard hasn't had a really productive year in three years. Joe Mixon, as a rookie, ran behind a bad offensive line last year, but is unproven in the NFL. They're going to have to figure out how to get a bunch of guys who have either done nothing in the league or not done anything in the league in a long time to take major steps forward for this offense to take a major step forward. I think it lies with them running the football more effectively. I think they're going to have to do that because I just don't think you can ask Andy to do more when he's got so many unproven weapons. If they run the ball more effectively, they're going to be better. If they don't, it's all on Andy, and that's kind of a dicey proposition. You know, given Marvin Lewis's background, it surprises me that the, the Bengals have never really had a very, very strong feature back. I, I can't remember. They, they've tried everybody, you know, Jeremy Hill, Bernard, so on and so forth. Is there anybody this year that you could see emerging? Is, it, is Joe Mixon that guy? Well, I, I think he is. I mean, look, they, they, didn't, they didn't draft him and take all the heat that they were going to get for drafting him and not plan on making him a, a very, very big part of their offense. To me, the most cartoonishly ridiculous thing about the way the Bengals season transpired last year was evident game number one. They drafted Joe Mixon with a number two pick or a second round choice, telling you how they felt about Jeremy Hill. And I think to an extent telling you how they felt about Giovanni Bernard. And yet there they are week one against Baltimore. And it's like watching Pop Warner football. Jeremy Hill plays the first series. And then he comes out of the game. And I guess gets an orange slice from the team mom. And then Giovanni Bernard, he plays the second series. And then he comes out. And then Joe Mixon plays the third series. And then he comes. It was silly. It was, it was ridiculous. It's not how a, a professional team operates. Uh, so they never really fully committed to Joe Mixon. And, and, you know, they spent a lot of time this offseason talking about how, well, you know, what we're going to do is, is we're going to put both backs on the field at the same time. And I'm going, wow, what a, what a concept. You couldn't figure that out last year. So I don't think the question is about can Joe Mixon be a productive NFL player? Can they figure out how to use him? They're making a big deal about Bill Lazor, who took over as offensive coordinator after two games installing a new offense. All that's well and good, but Bill Lazor was calling the plays the last 14 games last season. You're not reinventing offensive football if you put your most talented back on the field. This year, I don't think they're going to have a choice. I think it's going to be interesting if they do put both guys on the field at the same time. I tend to think that this season, 
if you just look at their rushing statistics, that's not going to tell a full story. I think they're going to design an offense where uh, Nixon and Bernard catch a lot of passes that are their runs, uh, really high percentage stuff, really try to pick up a lot of yak. I think you're going to have to judge those two guys by how many yards they gather from scrimmage. But there's a lot of people here skeptical. I mean, they haven't had a really good, consistent running game since the end of the 2014 season. The Jeremy Hill thing never worked out. Um, and so I think there's major questions about whether this coaching staff can figure out a, a way to best use the backs they have. But I think the backs they have are actually pretty talented, so that shouldn't be that hard. Now, with both the draft and free agency, what were the best and worst moves this team made, especially given the fact they maneuvered through the draft quite well? Yeah, you know, I, I don't I don't know that they really made a bad move. I, you know, I mean, everything they did this offseason kind of made sense. The Cordy Glenn thing I really liked. I liked it because it was very un-Bengal-like. It was, it was aggressive. It wasn't just waiting for, a you know, a third-tier free agent to fall to them. Or it wasn't just, hey, look, we're going to get offensive linemen in the draft. Uh, they were aggressive. Uh, that was a move that I liked. I think fans are putting a little bit too much stock in them signing Preston Brown, the uh, linebacker from Buffalo this offseason because he's from here. I don't really think he makes a difference, but they need to get better at that position. I think he's an upgrade from some of the guys they, they got. I was a little surprised that they signed Tyler Eifert as quickly as they did. Um, very incentive-laden deal. You know, a guy who's never healthy. You you can't just give him a bunch of guaranteed money. So it's a very much a, a prove-it deal. I was a little surprised they weren't a little bit more aggressive in, in finding a, a quarterback who could maybe have a better chance of, of being Andy Dalton's successor down the road and perhaps be a better option to come in the game if they need him this year. But when they signed Matt Barkley, you could kind of see the writing on the wall. He was going to be the backup quarterback. I would have liked to have seen him be – um, a little bit more pro weight on the roster. Mentioned before, Mike Brown's loyal to a fault, and there's a long list of guys who they probably kept around a year or two after their, you know, usefulness had expired. Um, Robert Gathers, a defensive end, was here maybe a year or two too long. Leon Hall, guys like that. I would have liked to have seen them maybe save some money by cutting loose Michael Johnson, maybe moving on from Brandon LaFell. They moved on from Adam Jones, although there's still a lot of people here who, who think he's going to come back at a significantly reduced price. I would have liked to have seen him do that and, and maybe be even more aggressive finding offensive line help or finding more athleticism at linebacker. But as a whole, I'm not really sure you could have a qualm with what they did. I think a lot of people were surprised they didn't take another offensive lineman reasonably early, but they just didn't like any of the guys that they could have taken on Friday or Saturday. So – I think they've had a good off season, but I don't think they've had an off season where you could say that they're ready to take a major, major step forward. I think they're a better football team than the one that walked off the field in Baltimore on New Year's Eve. I don't think they're a markedly better football team. Well, that takes us to my last question. Where do the Bengals rank right now in the AFC North, and what are their odds? What do you believe their are their odds are of making the playoffs? You know, I think the, the the division itself is is going to be weird this year because, you know, Pittsburgh wins 13 games a year ago, and I, I still think you have to consider them the favorite. To me, they come back to the pack a little bit, number one, because it's just hard to win that many games. Number two, I still think their secondary is a mess. And number three, they were 8-2 and two in games last year decided by a sport, and those things year to year tend to even themselves out. So I think Pittsburgh kind of comes back to the pack a little bit. But you look at the other three teams in the division – I know people are salivating over the offseason the Browns had, and understandably so. They're interesting. They've had a good offseason. It's hard to go from zero wins to eight. So, you know, when I when I read about them being a playoff dark, dark horse, number one, it doesn't take into consideration the schedule that AFC North teams have to play. Number two, I just think people forget how hard it is to improve by more than three or four wins in a season. So the Browns are better, still not a factor in the division. I think the Baltimore Ravens have been the most boring team in the NFL since 2012. Lamar Jackson maybe changes that a little bit. And I know they've loaded up on, on wide receivers, but, but no one to me who really makes a difference. There's a bunch of Michael Crabtree types who are, you know, B-minus type players, not guys who help you overhaul an offense. And so I kind of feel like the Ravens, plus their defensive identity has been totally stripped away. I kind of feel like they're a good bet to be right around 8-8. Eight and eight. And I feel like the Bengals can improve by a couple of wins. But that takes them from seven wins to maybe nine. 
Uh, I think they have to get off to a great start. You're going to get Indy on the road week one. Who knows if Andrew Luck is going to play or what you're going to get from him. Week two, you have Baltimore here. And then the schedule gets really tough. Three of the first four on the road, three of the last four on the road. So I think they're roughly anywhere in that eight and eight to nine and seven range. I don't think they're a legitimate contender in the AFC. But the good news is this. Nobody in the AFC really got that much better this offseason, so maybe nine, win get, nine wins gets into the postseason, but everybody's chasing Pittsburgh. They have the best offense in the division. They have the best quarterback in the division. They have for my money, even though he did not have a good playoff game against the Jaguars, they have the best coach in the division. And, so, and they also have a team in Pittsburgh that routinely beats the Bengals twice a year, and so until that stops, I'm just going to assume it's going to happen. I feel like the Bengals are going to finish in second place. I think Pittsburgh wins the division. I don't think the division top to bottom is as good as it has been, but we'll see. I'm just sitting there looking at the AFC this year thinking the NFC has gotten so much better, you know, with all the way down to maybe it's even fit to succeed. And you're right. The AFC is sitting there. Who really got better? I, yeah. I, I, the NFC to me is stacked. I think any team coming out of the NFC is a, a probable Super Bowl favorite at this point. You know, um, you go back to last year, you had, I think, two of the weakest AFC wildcard teams we've ever had. Now, I know Tennessee won a game, mm-hmm. but top to bottom, those are not very good. So, and then look around. You know, I, I I think Kansas City's window closed a little bit. They're going to be starting a guy who's essentially a rookie. I know they bring in Sammy Watkins, but they overpaid him. Who else in that division do you like? You know, Denver, no. Oakland, if it was 2011, maybe. Um, you know, I'm 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 not as as there as some people are with the Chargers just because of their issues winning close games. You go to the AFC South, I mean, huge Deshaun Watson guy, but you know, what do you get when he comes back? Um, you know, do you trust Andrew Luck and a bad Indianapolis roster? Can Jacksonville kind of bottle what they did last year? They still have Blake Bortles. Sometimes that's a positive. Oftentimes it's it's a negative. You know, you look at the, the division here, I think Pittsburgh takes a little bit of a step back, but nobody's ready to, to leapfrog. I and mean, then in the AFC East, it's still New England and everybody else. We are basically where we were at the end of the season in 2016, where it still feels like Pittsburgh, it still feels like New England, and it's really hard to make a Super Bowl case for anybody else. But you never know. <laughs> you know, it's a, you know I, I can see the Bengals, if they get the right pieces right, coming back, and then I'm not even sure if long-term, if you're not a Marvin Lewis fan, you're probably thinking, oh, geez, I'm not even sure I want that to happen. I want this guy gone. Well, it felt like, I mean, 14 games into the year, uh, the local newspaper here, the Cincinnati Inquirer, is, is basically publishing the Marvin Lewis eulogy. And, and we're talking about him on the air in past tense. I mean, it was it was reported, you know, and again, if you remember that Sunday they're playing in Minnesota, they're playing out the string, Adam Schefter reports, Marvin Lewis isn't coming back. And, and I can tell you that came from Marvin Lewis. Uh, that, that, that wasn't someone that was, that came from Marvin Lewis. They were allowing Marvin Lewis to control uh, the narrative uh, that he didn't want to come back. And then management changed their mind. Much to the chagrin of a lot of Bengals fans, it, it, it wasn't popular. It's it remains not popular, and it's going to be a really tough sell job on a on a fan base that has been you know been through a lot over the last 27 28 years to sell them on a coach who just hasn't been able to win not even the big one but the kind of big one you know here we're still stuck on them winning a playoff game not even winning championships just winning a playoff game and this coach hasn't been able to do that. All right. Well, hey, we'll see what happens. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate your time. And uh, thanks for just a great preview. I hope I did okay. Thanks for having me. Moving on, we'd like to thank one of our sponsors, our original sponsor. That is Sal Martinez in the Golden Ram Barbershop. If you're looking to support one of your own in Orange County and like the old school barbershop experience, check out the Golden Ram Barbershop at 13755 Golden West Street in Westminster, California. Sal Martinez opened up his shop as a shrine to the Rams on the day the team left for St. Louis. And he kept the lights on ever since. That's what he's done. He's by appointment only, so give him a call at 714-894-RAMS, 714-894-RAMS, or 7267 there. Use the promo code RAMSTALK so he knows we sent you, and also to get a discount on the already affordable haircut. The Gold Ram Barbershop is open Monday through Friday, 
8 a.m. to 6 p.m., and Saturday from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. One more time, give Sal a call at 714-894-7267. A visit to his shop is worth it. Just enjoy the atmosphere, the Rams memorabilia. But it's also this old school experience where you can talk football, and it's just you. It's just you and Mr. Martinez. Trust me, folks, you won't regret it. Hey, Sal even managed to make my blockhead and Norman's funky-looking head look, well, almost normal. Just saying, almost normal. Folks, I am here with Robert Henson from RedskinsCapitalConnection.com. He runs a podcast there, hosts a podcast, the the On the Warpath podcast. So we're going to plug them at the end of the show here because we definitely <laughs> want you to check out these, you know, the opposing team's podcast, get their award. We want you to know the game. So uh, right immediately, Robert, I guess the one thing I really want to ask you about immediately, though, is what on earth happened with Kirk Cousins? Why is he no longer a Redskin? We, and I ask because we hear the national news, but sometimes it's not the national news. It's a real story. So tell us the story. Well, um, honestly, it seems to me that he was uh, upset with the previous negotiations. Um, he was a little hurt, and he just wanted to be somewhere that he was wanted. And it seemed like free agency was just so enticing to him um, that he always wanted to be on the open market. Um, obviously, his camp didn't come out and say that. He never came out and said that, you know, why would he at the end of the day? But he was more than happy playing on the one-year tags, fully guaranteed. Uh, but for the last two years, it was something weird that happened. Um, and I think it was it's, a, it's something that the media here in the area – kind of overlooked, and that is that Kirk Cousins didn't come to the negotiation table. The Redskins would offer and would hear nothing back from his camp. they tag him, and he's okay with the tag, obviously, because it's at, you know, market value. So, you know, who wouldn't be? So it seems like he, he never really wanted to go negotiate for the last couple of years. I mean, they would put the offers out, um, and obviously their first offer would be a low ball, and then you meet in the middle. So just to give you an example, last year's offer was around 20, 21 mil um, a year. And obviously, Kirk felt he wanted to be around the 28 to 26 range. Um, But his camp never came back and said that. They never gave the Redskins a number. So um, obviously, the the team always looks like they're the ones that's holding, you know, all the cards and, and they look like the bad guy. So he, that's why he always had all the leverage while he was here. I mean, and I give him credit. As a former player, uh, I understand. Get your money while you can. I didn't play that long. Uh, but if I was a free agent, then, you know, obviously I would go and get as much money as I could. But um, the, him and his camp played it perfectly, and that was their plan from from the second year that he was a starter on. Now, to replace him, though, the Redskins go out and get Alex Smith, who, to me, I – Depending on the point of view, production-wise, I would say Kirk, Cous- Kirk Cousins is is higher than him on on the on the pedestal. But in terms of percentages, in terms of not giving games away, and, and obviously in the eyes of the Redskins, he's an upgrade. So, how do you guys evaluate the Redskins right now? Well, I, obviously, everything starts with the quarterback position in the National Football League, and I think Alex Smith uh, brings a long-needed stability to the position. Um, obviously, he's not a young guy. He's not a spring chicken. Uh, people understand that. The fans understand that. And obviously, the organization understands that. Um, so Alex just brings this uh, the the playoff experience, the big game experience, a guy who's had to battle and fight for everything he's had in this league, um, was one time a bust. So he's seen the highs and lows of the league. Um, and I look forward to him and Jay Gruden collabing. And from what I understand, I'm actually going to uh, – the uh, OTAs next week, uh, they're having a Redskins Alumni Day, so I'm going to the OTAs to check them out. But from what I understand, uh, Jake Rudin has been open to Alex about collabing about some things that he did in Kansas City that uh, obviously helped him be successful. And I know to the outside world looking in, Kirk Cousins and Alex Smith seem about the same player, but obviously uh, I think Kirk threw one more touchdown than Alex did, but he also has seven more interceptions. So we're getting a guy who's going to take care of the ball. People call him Mr. Checkdown, uh, Alex Smith, Mr. Checkdown, but he led the league and um, passes over 25 yards last year. So he could throw the deep ball too. So I, I, I'm, I'm really optimistic. I really think that 
this will be good for the Redskins for the next two to three years until they find that the next guy, Alex, is going to be our bridge quarterback. In the draft, they addressed some of the weapons around him. Darius Geis, a guy him. I guess he's a steal. I view it as a steal. I, I'm not one who buys into the, the all the rumors that fly around you know, during the draft and before the draft. Do you guys view him as a steal? Do you guys view him as the guy that kind of you know step in there and be that running back for you all? Well, this was a best-case scenario uh, for the Redskins. I obviously, I, I graded their draft, and just being honest with myself, I gave it I gave it a B plus. Um, Deron Payne falling to us. Um, obviously, I think Washington would have liked Vita Vea if he was there at thirteen. He wasn't, um, and you get the next best defensive lineman in the draft. In, in their eyes, a guy who can push the pocket. And to me, the difference between he and Vita Vea was the motor. Deron Payne has a better motor. He's better with his hands. Um, obviously, you can't teach strength, and that's something that Bayer would have brought to this defense. But I'm happy with Payne in the middle. It seems like they're trying to build an old Crimson Tide defense with all the uh, Alabama uh, prospects that they've chosen. I like Geist in the second round. I think he's a home run threat, um, a guy who's a one-cut back traditionally. So I think he'll excel in this system. Obviously, uh, I think one, uh, one area that he – could improve is in his pass catching ability out of the backfield. Mm-hmm. I think he's I think he's good at it now. He's obviously not a Chris Thompson, but we have a Chris Thompson. So I think those two guys will complement each other well. Um, and I want to see a bigger commitment to the run game from the Redskins this year. Um, there were a few head scratches in the draft in the draft for the Redskins though. Um, the Apke kid from Penn State didn't really understand it. I watched this tape after we picked him. I just didn't see it. I just saw a fast guy. I mean, obviously, when you get in those later rounds, you know, you're looking for special team players who could potentially become starters one day. So who knows? If the Redskins develop him, uh, he could be a, a future starter. But I like the direction with the first few picks that they uh, that they went in. How would you feel about Garon Christian from Louisville? Uh, I think, obviously, he has the needed depth from the offensive line position. And from listening to Jay Gruden talk, he's a swing tackle, which means he can play either side. I think they'll move him around a little bit. I still think offensive line is the one weakness on the offense right now. I, I just think a left guard is a must. It's, it's absolute must. Uh, and obviously a center. In the offseason, they let a few guys walk and uh, go get paid elsewhere. But I like it. I like the pick. I hope he, he doesn't have the strength that I would I would like for an offensive lineman. But um, I like his his – ability to play multiple positions, and that's all you can ask for from a backup offensive lineman. And one more thing on the draft there, Tim Settle, defensive tackle from Virginia Tech, that's the guy actually we were keeping an eye on until the Rams went and got Sue, because we mm-hmm. knew they needed a defensive tackle. How do you feel about him? Because we were high on him. I, I was high on him too, um, and I was thinking, you know, obviously I didn't think Darius Geis would slip as far as he did, so I was thinking the Redskins at 13 would probably just have to jump the gun at 13 to get a good running back like Geis. Um, but they didn't. They went pain. Um, when we got, when I saw that we got settled, um, I was extremely excited. Obviously, I, I couldn't understand why he slipped. Obviously, I think it's an injury issue. But if this guy can put it all together, he's. We, I think we got a very good defensive lineman that'll be here in Washington for some time. Uh, I think next year just be a learning experience and a rotation. He'll be a rotational guy. And depending on what they decide to do with Matt Ioannidis. Uh, he Tim Settle could fit in at that almost at the defensive end position. I think he's that athletic. Now, on in the free agency front, you guys made some serious moves, getting Zach Brown, Paul Richardson. Um, I, you know, jeez, uh, Brian Quick, bring him back. He's a, you know, we I can tell you how much we loved him. Huge, 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 uh, yeah, I know you very, are. Very, very uh, disappointed <laughs> in what happened with him. We thought he would actually he showed signs of being something special, and then. It never panned out. Got hurt, and that was it. Also, mm-hmm. the Kendall Fuller trade. You know, so how do these different how do these different moves affect the team next year? Resigning Phil Taylor, going and getting Kevin Hogan to back up. How do they really affect you guys? Well, I think uh, going to get Kevin Hogan, it, it could save you um, a draft pick in next year's draft if they develop him the right way. Um, from what I understand, they liked Hogan from the beginning, uh, from when he came out. Um, a couple years ago in the draft, uh, they were high on him. Obviously, didn't get a chance to take him. But uh, the Kendall Fuller trade, uh, I was upset at first a little bit, a little bit. But I think the Redskins are really banking 
on Fabian Monroe and and Josh Hosley really turning the corner and Quentin Dunbar established, continue to establish himself as a legit corner in in this league. So I think they're really banking on those guys really developing. The Paul Richardson deal was huge to me. I I thought Albert Wilson would come over in free agency uh, from the Chiefs along with Alex Smith. Uh, I thought those two guys had built a pretty good rapport while Alex was in Kansas City. So he would be obviously a speed need. Gruden said he wanted a speed receiver. But going out and getting Paul Richardson, a guy who proven in the last couple of years that he can make big plays, he can get separation from some legit corners in this league. So I like it. I like the move. We we needed somebody to stretch the field. We hadn't had that since Deshaun Jackson. And people really mis, misinterpreted or They didn't understand. Fans didn't understand what Deshaun actually brought to the offense. He opened things up underneath for Jordan Reed, Jamison Crowder, and getting Paul Richardson, you're getting that back. I was always wondering why the Seahawks didn't use him more. So we saw the Seahawks twice a year, um, and for some reason, with a guy that kind of speed and moving, I, I, I think in the end the Redskins may got a deal out of this. I think so. Uh, I really think so. I think the uh, if you're asking me, I think Seattle was higher on um, – I'm blanking on the guy right now, the Kansas State receiver. But hes I think they were really banking on him being that guy until he got hurt. And then, obviously, Paul got another opportunity, stepped up and made the best of it. Uh, I will say on, on another note, you brought up Phil Taylor. I wasn't really excited about Phil Taylor. Just, things just hadn't come together for him, in my opinion. Obviously, a rotational guy, but I would have I would have liked to kept McClain and not re-sign Phil, but that's just my opinion. I think McClain is – pushed the pocket a little bit more and, and was a better rotation guy. Is, I mean, is there a chance that they're still hoping he becomes that first-round pick he once was and that's why they brought him back? I mean, I, I'm, I'm just asking a Paul I mean, question there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen it. I'll get a better, closer look next week when I go to OTAs, but I just hadn't seen it from the guy, man. I mean, from what I understand, he flashes in, in practice and it kept people excited and on edge, but just – I just hadn't seen it. I mean, obviously the injury issues uh, with him have just been uh, overwhelming. Like I said, I would have brought McClain back if it was me. Zach Brown coming back was huge. If he can be a better linebacker in coverage, uh, I think the skins really got him at a great price um, for the next few years, uh, four years, I believe. So he's one of those speedy guys that attacks the line of scrimmage. Obviously, as you know, he's a gap shooter, in my opinion. You need those guys to penetrate and disrupt the backfield the quarterback and the, and the running back handoff exchange. So he had a pretty good year uh, with the Redskins until he got injured. But Yeah, I, I, just a couple more questions here too. And I have to ask him because of the Rams connection here. Brian, quickly, I kind of poked at him a minute ago. What did he do for you guys last year? Did he do anything? Was he, did he show you anything at all? I didn't see nothing from Brian Quick. Uh, nothing, absolutely nothing. I wasn't high when they signed him. I wasn't excited about it. I really didn't care. I, I actually would have liked to see the younger guys get an opportunity, the Robert Davis, the the uh, Zach, the Pascal kid, uh, Maurice Harris. I would have liked for us to give those guys more of an opportunity, and 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 obviously they did a little bit, but they still tried to keep quick in the mix, and he's still here. I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I mean, it's not like he plays special teams either really good, so I, I really don't understand it. It's just yeah. one of those things. I think every team has two of those guys that you just like, what? Like, Why is he here? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, for us, it was, it was almost a tragedy because the, he was actually developing and showing us something. Then he, then he tore his shoulder mm-hmm. out for the year. When he came back, he was nothing. There was yeah. nothing there to him. And he was actually – when he went down, he was leading the team in receiving. Yeah, and then Ken, I mean, obviously it gave a chance – it gave Kenny Britt a chance to, to really shine. So he yeah. went off and got paid. <laughs> yeah. so, I, I want to ask this question – because it's, I'm like, you know, we're, the Rams talk, our site is if we focus a lot on the current, but we are also deeply focused on the history. The mm-hmm. Redskins is it's one of those franchises that has a ton of history. And heck, the Rams' first NFL championship came over the Redskins in 1945. Mm-hmm. And so there's just a lot of history there. And it's been a long time since the Redskins have been that power franchise. 1991 season was a mm-hmm. for you guys. Haven't been back since. Um, you, there's been flashes over the years where it's been like, hey, the Redskins are close, and then they come back the pack, and they, they, they take a step out, and then they come really back the pack 
What has been the main problem with the Redskins franchise that they are, have not been up among the league's elite for a while? I honestly believe it all leads back to the front office. I mean, as we all know, expletive rolls downhill. So uh, I really think it goes back to the front office. For a while, this this franchise didn't know if it wanted to rebuild or contend or rebuild or we halfway there, we're middle of the road team. Like, they, I think they didn't know their true identity for a long time. Um, obviously, having Jay Gruden back, is it gives stability. If you think about it, a coach didn't last more than two or three seasons here. I mean, even a great Shanahan was out of here in, what, three Four, like I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, it just wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a conducive environment for for any coach to implement a system and have guys come in, learn, and there was just no stability there. And I think the same thing can be said for the front office. There was really no stability in the front office, and guys didn't know they management just didn't know what they wanted to do. So I I would attribute that to our lack of success. And I really, really just want to be honest and just go out and say honestly say. Bruce Allen is a problem for us. Wow. Bruce Allen is a huge problem for us. The firing of Scott McLaurin was a mess. Everything, everything that he's touched has been a mess. I think he wants to be the guy so bad um, that he's dismissed and gotten rid of anybody who was in his way of him building the team that he wants. So when I heard reports about Oakland possibly, you know, him going out and rejoining John Gruden, I was excited about it because – I think this guy has been a cancer for his team. Um, people want to blame Dan Snyder. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan has, and to Dan's credit, Dan has made mistakes, but to Dan's credit, for the last five, six years, he's really stepped away and just kind of let guys, you know, go in and do, and, and yeah, let them work. And so we can't use him as a scapegoat anymore. Redskins fans should understand that and know that Bruce Allen is really the problem with this team. His relationship with the players is deteriorated. I don't I, I don't know any player that likes him, honestly. Um, obviously, I have a few friends that still play. Uh, nobody likes him. Nobody really gets along with him. So he doesn't have the respect of the players and some people in the front office. So I think he's been really what's been holding us back the last couple of years, too. Okay. Last question here. All right. Mm-hmm. Gotta add, you know, just go for it. On paper right now, Redskins, where are they in the NFCEs, and can they compete for a playoff berth this year? I, I mean, honestly, without them even hitting the field and without seeing anything, I would I would say they're a 10-win team this year. After looking at the schedule, I, they could go, they could earn 10 wins, or they could be they could be a 10 and five. I mean, a 10 and six team, or they could be a nine and seven team. Um, I think obviously the Eagles are the top dog in the division until anybody says otherwise. Until they go out and just completely stink it up, you got to respect them. I think they're the class of the league right now uh, of the division. But we all know there's always hype around the Cowboys, and they never do anything. Um, and then you go and you look at the Giants, obviously adding Saquon. Mm-hmm. Not really not really concerned with them as long as Eli Manning is still quarterbacking. Um, I think his cliff is really going to hit this year. People are going to be surprised how bad, even worse he is. So, uh, I think the Redskins could finish, honestly, if I'm being honest, I would say second place in the division this year and and get a ten, be, be a 10-6 team or easily be a 9-7 team. I think they're young enough, but they are also they also have enough uh, experienced veterans and, and Pro Bowl players to, to be a 10-win team. So, All right, Robert, hey, tell our folks where they can find you, both your podcast I mean, and your Twitter and so on and so forth. Well, our podcast is called On the Warpath. It's myself and Robbie Duncan. Um, you can find it on Redskins Capital Connection. And also you can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Underscore Henson 51. Um, I'm always breaking down film. I'm always breaking down games. Uh, just giving insight, especially when the season roll around. It's kind of a dead period right now. So, <laughs> But um, I'll definitely have some stuff in the works if you just want to keep up with the Redskins or um, you can occasionally uh, catch me on Fox 5. I do some some spot appearances there, here and there, and Redskins uh, post and pregame. So that's pretty much it. Outstanding. It's a great interview, man. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, man. Okay, a word from our sponsors. It is summertime in Southern California, which means sun, 
hot weather and visit to the pool. If you're looking to remodel, resurface, or even put in a new pool, check out Jayhawk Pool Plastering Remodeling at 4780 East Wesley Avenue in Anaheim, California. Jayhawk Pool Plastering Remodeling serves Orange County and the Southland and are run by Jayhawk, the eldest son of former Ram John Hawk. He built his business on a mantra of fantastic results and amazing customer service. Just head on over to jayhawkpools.com and take a look at their work. You can see the quality in their finishes and in the testimonies provided by past customers. If you're looking to remodel, resurface, or even put in a new pool, give Jayhawk a call at 714-695-0700. Again, that's 714-695-0700. You can also email them at info at jayhawkpools.com. Folks, it's a great opportunity to support our podcast and also help fellow members of the Rams family. If you live out in the area and you need work done, give Jayhawk Pool Plaster a call. You'll be glad you did. Okay, it's time for us to go. Another great discussion here with two really, really knowledgeable people on the both Bengals and the Redskins. Um, before we go, though, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TalkRams or on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk. You can find me on Twitter at DC Apollo. Don't forget, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all those great places. So, for the rest of the Rams Talk team, this is Derek C. Paul. Take it easy. The NBA is back. Where else can you get this type of drama? Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rivals. The battle of LA is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Hurry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history still in the making? Oh, my goodness. Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.